Lutzer of Running to Win, heard daily on Bible School Radio, 91.3 KDKR, Decatur, Dallas-Fort Worth, and on 91.3 KYJC Commerce. Portions of KDKR programming do not necessarily reflect the views of this station, its management, or staff. Prudent Money with Bob Brooks is sponsored by the Prudent Money Foundation on 91.3. Well, change, how to turn uncertainty into opportunity. Today we're going to take a look. Stay tuned for Prudent Money. This is Bob Brooks, and you are listening to the Prudent Money Radio Show. Thank you so much for joining me today. You know I do appreciate it. Well, change is a constant, as well, especially in this current environment we are facing. How do you turn it into an opportunity? Co-author and change consultant Curtis Bateman is here today. Uh, Curtis, welcome to Prudent Money. Hey, Bob. Nice to be here. Well, you and your co-authors could not have picked a better time. <laughs> to write about change considering this environment. I mean, there's such a great deal of change occurring as you write in the book. And, you know, the thing, you can either view it as a bad thing or as an opportunity. Oh, that's right. And and so many of us have a long list of negative experiences with change. So our starting point of reference is that it's negative. In fact, 88% of people expect that change is going to lead to something worse for themselves. So so our opening paradigm is, uh, yeah, this is a bad thing, but uh, perhaps there's another way to look at it. Well, let's start off with the five common reactions to change. Talk about how people react. Yeah, thank you. This is is an interesting one. when, when we've looked at change over the last 20 years, we've we've noticed it's very consistent set of reactions. Of course, there's more than five, but the five are the most common reactions we see with individuals when they start to experience change. So the first one of the five is a reaction called move. And this is an individual who thrives with something new. Perhaps they were bored. Perhaps um, they were looking for something different. And so there's a level of enthusiasm that emerges as a change is introduced. That doesn't mean they're prepared or equipped just means they're enthusiastic. Um, then there's minimize. Uh, a person that tends to minimize is realizing, oh, this is going to happen, but they try and do the least amount possible with the change. Resist says, hey, I've seen this before. I'm going to push back against that. I don't like change and, and does everything possible to, to really hold back and push. Um, then there's then there's the two twins, uh, quit and quit, and and they tend to find a reason that the change doesn't work for them. And so one of them will opt out of a change and, and walk away from it, and the other one, t- that reaction will stay in an organization, but emotionally, mentally uh, quit. We've called this quiet quitting of late, but it's it's not a new reaction People have been doing this for a long time. So pretty common reactions that we see from people doesn't make it right or wrong. It just means that when a change is introduced, they jump in with what their initial reaction is. 
You know, it's it's interesting, Curtis. I, I always think about when I when I read through a book and prep through prep for an interview, that you know, who's this book really written for? And to yeah. me, this book is written for anybody in corporate America that's in a business where there's massive change going on. And like I said, I, you know, we're joking around a little bit about it, but I think that that uh, this environment, there's so much change occurring. I don't know how this compares to past environments or anything like that. I just know that, that there's a lot going on here. And one of the things that we're doing this uh, this week is we're going to give away a copy of this book, Change, How to Turn Uncertainty into Opportunity. And you can go find the post at on Facebook or Instagram. All you got to do is like the post, and we'll, uh, we'll get in touch with you and send out a copy of the book, Change, How to Turn Uncertainty into Opportunity. Uh, you know, there's an interesting psychology that occurs when Jane, uh, change is introduced. And I love this about the book. It talks about how does a person's brain react to change? Yeah. Yeah, this is just human nature. And we're programmed this way. We, we talk a lot about it. People will have heard of the reptilian brain or you know, maybe the thinking brain. Because so many of us view change as a threatening thing, it pushes us out of making choices into our reactions or our reptilian brain where we're protecting ourselves. As a result, we tend to shut down, push back, and exhibit these emotional reactions that we talked about with move, minimize, wait, resist, quit, and quit. And, and when that happens, unfortunately, it feels like the change is happening to us, something being done to us. And it moves us away from this really productive space where if we can stay engaged with the ability to choose, then we can work on creating different outcomes rather than just having the change happen to us. So moving from a reaction or a victim of the change to a more proactive making choices around how I choose to engage with the change as an individual or as a leader in an organization. Well, in the book, you write that there is no single best way to react to change. It's all about context and choice. Each reaction may be right in any given context. Talk a little bit about what you mean about with that sentence. Yeah, I think my, my observation, our observation over the years is that as an individual, I might react to change with skepticism, so I wait and I wait to see what happens. And... What we're saying is our default reaction, our default emotional response to change may or may not be the right one. So rather than just resting on that reaction, having some intentionality that says, what is it that I understand about this change? What's really happening? Why is it happening? And what is the potential impact on me? Or what potential impact could I have on the change? And as you just breathe and give yourself a minute to think through those questions and then choose what's the right reaction, what's going to get me the best outcome, we can just insert a little bit of space between the stimulus, the change, and our reaction. We, we already start to shift the power of the change happening to us and shift it towards us making choices about the change and where it could be good where it could uh, be something we can influence or maybe something we choose not to be part of, but giving ourselves space to make a choice rather than just going with our default reaction. 
people are hoping to help people see as they read through that story that you've seen, Bob, in chapter one, the parable yes. about the ship and the, the crew. Now, Curtis, from a, a leadership standpoint, you would think that, well, a leader leads to change. The leader is in charge of everything. Yet, a, what you write in the book, though, this is interesting, a true leader's job might actually be different than that. So how does a leader adapt and help his or her people adapt and succeed? Yeah, this is, there is an expectation placed on leaders that they'll just make the change happen. Usually when the strategy is released or some kind of change is announced by a company, the organization turns to the leaders and says, make it happen. And that often leads to, I'm going to walk through a process or a checklist of things I want you to do. But from a leadership point of view, that starts to fall short because the the biggest tool, the biggest resource that we're using for that change to happen is our people. And when we treat them as just a checklist or a resource that we have to organize and make it happen, then we start to lose the engagement And when we lose the engagement of our people, everything is about resistance and pushing and fighting and tugging to make it happen. Where if we can start to shift our paradigm as a leader and say, how can I help my people engage in this process and allow them to be an active part of it? So shifting from process to people, what it does is it starts to create engagement, alignment, and activate the creativity because People don't feel like it's just being done to them. They feel invited into the discussion. And as a result, they make a contribution, and it's easier to line up and engage with the change when they feel like they have a voice in the, in the whole change process. This is Bob Brooks. Uh, you are listening to the Prudent Money Radio Show. I'm talking to Curtis Bateman about a great book called Change, How to Turn Uncertainty into Opportunity. If you want to enter in uh, for a free giveaway, we're giving the, this book away this week. Just go to Facebook or Instagram and like the post, and uh, we'll get you taken care of. That's all. And uh, you can also get more information at the website, prudentmoney.com. Now, what do you do as a leader when change fails? And that's, that's got to be a tough one. <laughs> well, it is tough, and it happens all too often. Uh, both our data and independent data from Harvard and other, other studies show that as many as 75% of change initiatives fail to reach their intended outcome, meaning they didn't get us where we wanted to go. We might have made some progress, we might have made our way through it, but we really didn't end up where we wanted to go. That has some real consequence. One of the consequences, of course, is the change was introduced because there was a need for something different or better to emerge in the business. And as a leader, that's that's really difficult because we're not delivering on the outcomes that are expected of us. The other thing that happens is it leads to our employees having this ongoing bias that change is just a difficult thing that never yields a good outcome. Employees expect, our data shows 72% of employees believe the change will lead to something worse for the organization. So there is this starting paradigm that most changes live in that space of failing to reach its intended outcome. So what do you do as a leader? Well, I think you have to realize why it's failing. 
leaders are the fulcrum of change. They make all the difference here. And so as a leader, you have to pause and reflect and understand what's my role in it and how can I do something different? And in the process of doing something different, I can learn some change skills, some leadership skills to help guide the next change to a much more successful outcome. But it requires getting better at what we do. So talk a little bit about from the employee standpoint, because as you say, the statistics would say there's a, that there's a lot of failure that goes along with change. How do you have maintained, the, as an employee, maintain the right attitude and, and the look in, in looking at uh, the change that's happening and turning it into an opportunity? Yeah. Well, this is, this is a skill that everyone can develop. There is a predictable pattern that changes follow. And as an employee, when you recognize the pattern that's taking place, um, you, can, you can start to see where you are in the journey and how it's impacting you. You can start to recognize in each stage of the change process, what am I thinking, feeling, and doing? And by, by raising that awareness of what's going on, rather than just this ambiguous, unclear change thing is happening to me, if you can realize, oh, we're getting ready for a change to start, or oh, a change has been introduced and I'm in a state of disruption, or we're starting to really implement the change and it's hard, and this is where we have some step, some missteps and some points of failure, or we're really coming toward the end of a change, what else can we do to create some extra value from it? When you realize that there's this predictable pattern, you recognize and discover how to determine where you are in the pattern, then there's some very basic skills you can learn to use that will help you. What that does is it pulls a large amount of the consequence away from the change just happening to you and giving you as an employee the ability to be a proactive actor in the change rather than a reactive passenger in the change. You know, Curtis, I like how you and your co-authors take things to a different level when you talk about developing a culture of change. How do you change a company's mindset to a mindset of an expectation of change? I hope that makes sense. Yeah, it does. I think there are probably three basic levels of organizational change capability. One is when it happens to us, hold on, here we go, this is not going to be good. And a lot of leaders and organizations find themselves there. The second level would be we have some change capability. We've seen it before. We've developed some strengths and some leadership skills with it. But what you're talking about, what you're referencing in the book, is this idea where we're proposing making change an organizational competency, developing change muscle in a way that it actually is a source of competitive advantage. So how do you go about doing that? Well, I think one of the keys is to understand this very predictable pattern and once you understand the pattern, then you can layer on top of it some really easy-to-use skills in each of those four zones or stages of the change process. And every time you go through the change process, if you'll employ those skills and the repetition of using them over and over again, what happens is it's like weight training. Those change muscles become stronger. And if we help leaders and individuals collectively start working on 
that change muscle, over time you move through skill into competency, and that's that's where you really start to develop a competitive advantage in an organization when it comes to change. You know, Curtis, I'm going to go out on a limb here just, just out of curiosity because this came to my mind talking about change. Have you ever worked with any uh, with any NFL teams? I was just thinking about the the, uh, the uh, so much change that occurs from season to season with a team that's that's bad. Always changing coaches or changing offensive coordinators or defensive coordinators, and how in those in those players just have to learn new systems. Have y'all ever taken any of your your uh, research and worked with an NFL team? We have. We've worked with a couple of professional sports teams over the years. And um, it is interesting. There are uh, – sports teams are a great example, but there are lots of organizations with a tremendous amount of upheaval on a regular basis. Even even when you think about some of what goes on in schools, right, you have all of the students shifting between years and making this transition to the next level of learning. And remarkably, in a sports team – in a school, in an organization, in a charity, even in some government institutions where we work, the same principles apply. That's what I love about this. That's one of the things that's made it so captivating for me is the same principles apply and work in all of those contexts. Yes. Of course, as a leader, I have other other capabilities in those specific industries, but if I can add these change capabilities to it, they work in every one of those contexts. Now, you write about various phases of change, and it would seem to me how a leader navigates to the zone of disruption could be a really good predictor of success. How, I mean, how critical is that particular phase? Well, it's crucial. It's crucial. And I like the word you, you said, navigate to this zone, because it connects to the previous zone, which is before a change is introduced... What is it that we're doing as a leader to help our people be ready for the next change? And the more we can do as a leader to prepare our people for upcoming changes, even changes we may not know what they are, but the recognition that change is coming to the point you made. It doesn't seem like there's less of it. There's more of it. So if we can be very proactively looking at what changes might be coming and preparing ourselves then as you enter into that zone of disruption, what you start to do is you decrease how deep the impact is from the change. And when you decrease the depth of that impact, make it shallower, you actually decrease the cost of change. The overall cost of the change diminishes because we've helped our people navigate their way into the change so that there's less of those emotional reactions we talked about. They still exist, but the strength of them and the inflexibility that might exist with them is tempered. It's prepared and it's made people ready to embrace the change so they can move more quickly through the point of decision and into the space where they're working on implementing the change. This is Bob Brooks, and you are listening to the Prudent Money radio show, talking to Curtis Bateman about a great book called Change, How to Turn Uncertainty into Opportunity. If you want more information, you can go to franklincovey.com and uh, look, and also just check out all the rest of the information they have on that uh, website. It's a great company. I've followed uh, Franklin Covey for a long time, Curtis, and I've always appreciated what you guys have done there. You know, one of the biggest changes, and I've 
really uh, highlighted this one question that I wanted to ask you about this. You know, one of the biggest changes of the last three years has been this shift from being in office to virtual workplace. Yeah. Uh, I mean, how have, how, I, I, first of all, I'm just amazed that that has happened to the extent that it's happened and really how much of it's permanent or seems per permanent. But how have leaders dealt with that shift? I mean, that's a big corporate shift. Oh, yeah. Yep. Well, if, if you read the news actively through the pandemic, we've seen that there have been so many different ways that leaders have dealt with it. From the um, being hyper-flexible to the very firm and, and being very prescriptive about what they're doing. And, um, you know, what the right answer is for this work-from-home context or the hybrid or, or back to the office is is unique for each organization. But what we find is leaders that have found a way to engage their people and their creativity to talk about what's the outcome we're looking for, painting a picture of what could the changes lead to and how can we collectively work on it to create the very best outcome is where we start to see change show up as a capability and a competency but this is an interesting one, and I don't think this one's fully played out yet because organizations mm, right. are wanting to get their people back. And so what the new equilibrium looks like, I don't know. But I do know that when leaders have engaged rather than mandated, then mm. they, they tend mm. to get a better outcome. This is Bob Brooks, and you are listening to the Prudent Money radio show. We're talking about a great book here, Change, How to Turn Uncertainty into Opportunity. Curtis, one last question you, you know, you yeah. also have the opposite of change when a corporation refuses to change when everything around them <laughs> is changing. Mm -hmm. What have you found that prevents a company from changing as the environment is clearly shifting all around them? Yeah, there, there are several things that causes that to be the case. And there are lots of, lots of case studies for organizations that have chosen not to change. And, of course, organizations that have changed recklessly, and it's compromised the organizations on both extremes. Um, a, lot, a lot of times leaders will choose not to change because it's such hard work mm. based on their experience. And so they don't want to initiate the process because as they go through the zone of disruption and the zone of adoption, they live with all of the cost of making that change happen. And if they never get back up out of that zone, then, then the change has simply been a cost exercise the whole way through. Part of what we're trying to help leaders realize is with, with some intentionality and some thoughtfulness around what's the outcome we want, what's the reason for the change, and what could it lead to, and do those benefits outweigh the cost of change, we can actually get into almost an almost mathematical or financial equation that says, to make this change happen, we really need to look for the return over the cost. And when we do that, then we start to make smarter decisions about the change. So rather than not changing or changing recklessly, we develop some tools to evaluate, is this a smart change? What can we do to control the costs? And what can we do to accelerate our journey through the process so we maximize the benefits? And the more we can get the back end of the process to create value that outweighs the cost, 
then, then leaders don't have to just go based on gut instinct or historical track record. They can apply some real business intelligence to it. Curtis, I'm, I'm going to have to cut you off right there. I hate that the uh, ending is, yeah. is upon That's us. Right. <laughs> Once again, change, how to turn uncertainty into opportunity. Curtis, thank you so much for coming on the program. This is Bob My Brooks. you got a question for me, please go to the website, website. at prudentmoney.com. Until we do meet again next time, keep the faith and have a great rest of the day. That's all the time we have for today. Questions or comments for Bob or to find out more great information like what you've just heard, visit www.prudentmoney.com. Be sure to join Bob Brooks again for the next edition of Prudent Money.